Blog Talk Radio. Christmas, if memory serves. Whatever yearly end of the calendar festivities you choose to enjoy and recognize and partake in, I hope you're having a good one as the year comes to a close. I'm Robert Winfrey, and this is Damn You Hollywood, because, well, they kind of... I I imagine, like, the next three years, this will just be Damn You Disney, as... (laughs) They will own the totality of like entertainment, on a certainly on a large scale. Uh, tonight we will be reviewing Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, because Mark kind of hates me. Uh, anyway, speaking of Mark, let's bring him on. My regular co-host for this show, Mark Radlich. Mark, how are things in Florida? Oh, things are good. Um... I woke up this morning, it was about 50 degrees out, and I think by the time I went home, it was like 80 degrees, um, or it was 80 degrees somewhere in between when I got to work and when I went home. Either way, nice uh, non-wintery weather, and, and I'll tell you, it's a bone of contention here among the Floridians, you know, as people, like, they don't really want winter as such, but they do want a white Christmas, so it's like, for the average Floridian person, not me, because I'm a sane person who realizes that snow is a terrible, terrible thing. Snow uh, is not snow a terrible black, thing. Snow begets black ice. Black ice begets cars spinning in the street. It's a terrible, terrible burden on humanity. Um, really? In any case, do I? Should I? Yeah. Do you really want me to go off for the next five minutes about the importance of snow to the ecology of the world? 
I couldn't think of a worse thing, and we're reviewing Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle on this show. But I, if you start to go into a Mr. Wizardish rant about the importance of snow to the ecology, I'm going to start singing. Show tunes, Robert Winfrey, show tunes. Do you want to play this game? Do you want to get into a scream-off with me? Is that what, is that what this show has come to? You and me and a Jonas and Daddy-like scream-off? Have you seen the, the scream-off between me and my son? No. And we all know your wife would take the kids and leave you if I made you sing show tunes for that for too long anyway. Like you, you can't win that. But I don't want to ruin your at life. At least for the night. I mean, they they come back. Um, there's too many. You ought to see the, the Christmas blew up, uh, fucking threw up in our house, man. You should see our tree. Half of it's covered in toys. Toys, I tell you, toys. No, look, I understand that snow is an inconvenience, especially for commuting. And I mean, you're from you're from New York. You've lived through the terrible things that snow can do, and the way people are stupid when driving in it. Yeah, but, I'm. I'm telling you, look, I drove safely and still spun on black ice. I'm done with it, I tell you. But here's what I was trying to get to. What they would like is to on Christmas for it to snow. And then wake up the next day and have all the snow be gone. It's return to normal Florida weather. That's what people want. That's what the people want, Robert Winfrey. And you know what I say? Give them what they want. Do, 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 do. Hey. Hey. Give them what they want. Remember that song? No, actually. I have no frame of reference for, what, for the bit you're doing. No? You don't remember Give Them What They Want? Do, do, What's it do, from? It's a song. No, I don't very, believe I've ever heard it. Hang on, uh, I, I don't remember who does it. I want because I want to say it's Porn on Blondes, maybe, but I know that's Hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, give them what they want. Oh, you know what? That's not really Mer- Merchant. What's wrong with me? Um, yeah, ten thousand name yet. It's the song is Candy Everybody Wants, and the song is. Sorry, the band is 10,000 Maniacs, featuring Natalie Moichent. Don't you know who Natalie Moichent is? No. Yeah, no. Do you no. not listen to do you not listen to folkish singer-songwriterish female stuff? I am apparently not, I don't know. I I've mentioned this in the past, like I don't mark time with music the way a lot of people do. It's uh, so no, okay. I don't know who that is. I never heard the right. song. And you are slowly Jesse killing Starcher. the show. Jesse Starcher, get on here and upload. <laughs> That's his job do on not, the armor of doom. Do not <laughs> do this. <laughs> Jesse Starcher's job on the metal hammer of doom is to bend to my whim as I ask him to upload music. As I start to think of other songs we can play besides the one we're we're reviewing. So I think Jesse Starcher needs to come on the show right now and upload Candy Everybody Wants by 10,000 Maniacs so that Robert can hear it. Or we could just review Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. It's your choice. Can I take option B and, like, throw myself out a window to get out? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't Um, that bad? No. Okay. Let's get on with it. it. It was... Better. It wasn't even like entertainingly bad. It was just kind of bland and took up time. 
<laughs> Let me ask you a question. It's a very serious question, which involves a very serious answer. Was it candy everybody wants? Eh? Eh? Was Jumanji, welcome to the jungle, candy everybody wants? Hey, give them what they want? Eh? By neither definition of candy everybody wants, either in the literal sense of sugared sweets that are desired by a majority, if not a you know a significant majority of the population, nor a, an apparent musical song by a singer-songwriter from, I don't know, five, 15 years ago, somewhere in that neighborhood. No, it was neither of them. Try longer. Try much longer. Uh, the 1800s. All right. A little too... Little too long. Really? 1800s? Well, with the way you sing it, I now envision a bunch of like Civil War soldiers passing time by singing that around a campfire when they're between battles. Close. 1981. <laughs> okay. That's uh, when they so older. Apparently so they're older. still going. You know, Go ahead. Well, they are older than I am, then. Yeah, they were big when I was a kid. Uh, apparently they're still going though. Though Natalie Merchant left the band. Uh, Natalie Merchant left the band in 1994, I think. And then she did a solo album. Yeah. For a while. All right. I can't believe you don't know who Ten Thousand Maniacs are. You should go listen. You should go. You know. You know. Go, listen, listen to their very famous uh, MTV Unplugged. That's probably not going to happen. Uh why? Why don't you like good music? I categorically object to the to labeling music as good or bad. You want to go? You want to try one more time to review the movie before I continue on this uh, uh, this trend of uh, talking about Ten Thousand Maniacs? Go go on if you want. I'm you. sure you, you, you can, can. You can take this show back from me that I'm currently running away with, you know, pantsless down the street, singing, hey, give them what they want. Uh, nobody wants you without your pants on. <laughs> That's not true. I have two children. You say that like it's a function of want. <laughs> Stop it. Be nice. Dude, I'm, I'm a 32-year-old, never-been-married Mormon from Utah. Believe me, I know all about people not wanting you. <laughs> Aw, my God! This is this is slowly becoming instead of the Rattlehead Broadcasting Network, it's the Mister Lonely Hearts Network between you and Rob Cooper. My goodness, it's the first name. Uh, it has, like that's the only point of commonality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, uh, on to moving on to the actual movie we're supposed to be reviewing because I did sit through this thing. Uh, all yes. right, hang on. I, so begin, I have to ask. So this. hang on, H- hang on. So begins the winter of Robert Winfrey's discontent. That's what I'm no, calling that all been, that, would be the, that would be the vaunted winter of 1985. <laughs> oh, do tell. Well, I was born in October of 85. The winter of my discontent started a couple of months later, and it has not ever let up. Relative to this show. Which, despite yourself, you have said that you enjoy doing. Um, 
you know, I, you, while you like to think that I have some sort of control over you and that I can make you do things, you are, in fact, in Utah. I am, in fact, in Tampa and possess no Jedi skills, to my, to my knowledge, and to my utter regret. I can't actually make you do anything. So clearly you do this show out of some degree of enjoyment. And yet, and yet, you will spend all of 2018 not reviewing a single film you would have seen with, uh, with, under, uh, uh, with your own volition. Therefore, I am naming 2018, as it relates to DMU Hollywood, as the winter of Robert Winfrey's, Robert Winfrey's discontent. I do it out of a sense of moral obligation. I said I would do it, ergo I will do it. <laughs> is, 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 are, you, are you the Chewbacca to my hands, though? You owe me some sort of life debt? No, I just said I'd do it. <laughs> but my, word has to, my word has to count for something. If I said I would do X, then I will do X with them to the best of my ability. I didn't realize I owned you for this program uh, in perpetuity. You <laughs> don't. When we made this arrangement. It's more a month-to-month thing. <laughs> You're gonna continue. You will continue to do this even under duress until you decide you've had enough. Yeah, that's kind of how I live my life. <laughs> I will continue getting up every morning until I've deci- until I decide I've had enough. <laughs> All right, we have two choices at this point: either start uh, telling us the plot of this movie, or I start singing uh, another Ten Thousand Maniacs song. And believe me, I know a bunch. I'm sure you do. I wanted to ask you specific, like I, I bemoaned the inclusion of this, especially over this weekend, because there was a, a biopic starring Hugh Jackman about P.T. Barnum that I was like infinitely more interested in actually watching. That we yeah, had, it was originally on the list. And we had agreed to do like th- that was your one concession to my cinematic interests. And then they moved Jumanji uh, from February to August to January to December, excuse me, whatever month it is. And there summarily went my hopes and dreams. <laughs> so I I do feel compelled to ask, like, what about this movie made you decide that? Yes, despite it shifting its position several times, come hell or high water, we will review this. Well, I look, the rules of Damn You Hollywood are simple. We review Hollywood blockbusters. That includes franchises, remakes, reboots, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson movies. Because Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as we know is, what is it, Hollywood Platinum, Hollywood Gold, Hollywood Shuffle? There, there's a whole, like, phrase that goes with him um, that they kind of goofed on, I think, with, in Saturday Night Live one year. In any case, uh, he, he is the Arnold Schwarzenegger of our time, right? He is the lead action star. I think, some, I think my father-in-law was telling me that he makes, like, the most money. He's like the highest paid actor in Hollywood or something, which I don't understand. If, I, if that's true, I don't understand how he got to be that. Since his, his half may, his movies don't do very well. No, no, no. I can tell you exactly why, how that is compiled. 
highest paid actor is not award or for the year is not awarded to the actor making the most for a single movie. It is awarded to the actor who, over the course of the fiscal year, takes in the most income. Ah, okay. I guarantee you there are, you know, half a dozen actors who get more per movie than The Rock. But The Rock but will they only do like one. <laughs> but The Rock does say, but they only do like one year. movie. Right. Well, The Rock has a series on HBO, which I'm sure he gets a decent amount for. Plus, he really, right, he does like three or four movies in a single year, whereas somebody like, let's say, Matt Damon, Tom Cruise does well, Tom one or Cruise two. Well, Tom, only, Cruise, Tom Cruise is the only actor who like has box office appeal outside of the property that he's doing, and that is far from bulletproof, mm-hmm. mind you. But Right. Well, I think it's, I, I know for at, at a minimum, Tom Cruise did two movies this year. He did the cocaine movie and he did the um, the mummy. You know, the mummy did blah, 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 blah. and uh, I want to say the cocaine movie. Uh, I don't think the cocaine movie did great either. But yeah, the, I think that was more. Yeah, that might that might have been served by its low budget. Uh, you know, and appeal to critics, which actually I don't. I think it even failed there. I don't think the critics liked it very much. But no, the point being that The Rock consistently is on that list, not because of the like high amount of revenue or of salary he commands for any individual performance, but because he works his ass off. Yep. Well, that's why we're reviewing the movie, and you know, Kevin Hart also makes a pretty penny Ugh. in his. That wide appeal. I mean, granted, we tend not to do uh, comedies on this show. It's it's just because I, I my just, sanity I don't do can only take so much. I don't want to do them. I don't think they. I don't think relative to the action movies and science fiction fantasy movies, they do very well. So I don't think they're worth the time. You know, and comedies in comedies extremely subjective. It's not like you're going to, you know, see a comedy and and remark, "Boy, was it shot well." My goodness, the special effects in that comedy. You know, it, it's, it, comedy, it's, it's kind of one barometer. How hard did you laugh? And that's very subjective. It's not worth reviewing, in my opinion. I think it's, you know, you want to take someone out on a date, you know, who, who enjoys stupid comedies, by all means, I think that's where it serves its best purpose. You know, as harmless entertainment. But as far as being the impetus for a fairly intellectual discussion in the, in the uh, you know, sudden karaoke that, that is this show, it's not worth my time. But Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, was an action movie. Um, in fact, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes thing, it falls into the category of, get this, drama, action adventure, kids and family, science fiction, and fantasy. And that is, that is ludicrous. what we review on this show. <laughs> <laughs> with, this, with a possible exception of drama, uh, we review all of those things on this show. So this fit in nicely, I thought. And it had the rock in it. All right. That's very fair. All right. As for the plot of this movie, uh, we start out kind of. Yeah, how do I want to do this? I'm not getting to the minutiae of well, some of this, but. Hang on, all right. I was going to say, why don't you start at the beginning and then when you get to the end, stop? I could do it that way. I mean, it's no fun that way, but it's certainly more coherent. 
I'm a big fan of coherency. Really? <laughs> yes, really. God damn it. Because I've heard you taste in music. Oh, shut up. Uh, all right. This movie picks up somewhat where the first Jumanji movie released, you know, 20 years ago, starring Robin Williams. It's over 20 years, actually, but just I'm rounding, so bear with me. It left off with the board game being discovered on the beach. In the original movie, it's actually on a beach in France. Here, it is still within the confines of the small town in Massachusetts. Uh, It is picked up by random individual given to said random individual's teenage son who looks at it and goes, who plays board games anymore? In an effort to actually fulfill its cursed purpose, the board game warps into a game cartridge. The teenager, being more interested in video games than board games, uh, sticks the cartridge into his machine and is summarily sucked into the game as is the... It's what the thing does. Uh, Fast forward 20 years, we meet our cast of new characters... We have a bunch of stereotypes. Uh, Our resident nerd, Spencer, the football jock Fridge, as an homage to the great American football player, William Perry. Uh, Random Instagram whore, Bethany, and introvert (laughs) nerd girl, uh, what what was her name? Margaret, maybe? Hang on, I will find it. Yeah, Martha. <laughs> There's always a Martha, apparently. It is now one of the keys Mar- to Why did you say that Martha. name? Why did you say that name? I hate so much about all of that. Um. Anyway, they are all assigned detention for various reasons. Um, Spencer helped cheat, helped Fridge cheat to keep his place on the football team. Uh, Bethany can't get off of her phone, and Martha mouthed off to a PE teacher. They all wind up in detention together, where rather than go through the carpal tunnel-inducing and time-consuming task of removing staples from magazines, They find the gaming console with the Jumanji game in it, plug it in, and decide to waste however long it's going to take to complete the game. They're all sucked into the game as well. They are given comically mismatched avatars because we need humor and a loose catalyst for what passes for character development in films such as this. Uh, Spencer the Nerd becomes The Rock. Fridge becomes Kevin Hart, which is a fate worse than death. Uh, Bethany becomes Jack Black, which is slightly better than becoming Kevin Hart. And Martha becomes, I forget the actress's name. And I don't really care. Uh, they are... I, I, I got you. Relax a second. Uh, uh, Karen Gillian, who is also Nebula. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, they are told that in order to escape from this digital hell, they must actually complete the video game. They are told how to do this. They've each got three lives, and if you lose all three lives, well, you die. if you die in the game, you die in real life. As a 
play on a famous horror line. Uh, so they wander through the jungle of Jumanji, encountering various animals, circumstances roughly akin to a very, very bad Uncharted game. Uh, they recover the kid from the opening bit, who's been locked in here for what he considers to be a couple of months, and has in fact been 20 years. Uh, they you know, go through some personal growth, again, as much as you can in a film designed to be like this one. They eventually succeed, they return to the real world. Uh, the original kid is spit out back in his original timeline, so he doesn't actually deal with the severe culture shock of being thrust 20 years into the future, because that would really suck. Especially as we've reached a point in time when like technology and society advance at a somewhat rapid pace. I mean, there's huge portions of like the Middle Ages where, apart from you know kingdom boundaries being redrawn, 20 years do- isn't actually going to change much in the way of culture. But, you know, go from the 60s to the 80s, you're in for a non-trivial amount of relearning. Uh, They all go forward in life having learned valuable lessons about the nature of themselves, growing as people, becoming friends after, you know, shared traumatic experiences like you do. And at the end, they destroy the gaming console with a bowling ball. All right, Mark... Uh, was there anything you especially would like to uh, that I missed before we get into some of the you know the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between? Um, no, I honestly think you did a fine job of summing it up. I mean, the the villain in this movie is played by uh, uh, no Cavanaugh, Bobby Cavanaugh. Couldn't <laughs> we are we are talking. It, it makes most of the Marvel villains look, uh, you know, three-dimensional. So there's not much to, you know, he, he did what he was written to do. He was a video game villain. Um, uh, and, no, and no, the no, plot... no, He's a bad video game villain. As, a, as someone <laughs> okay. who has vehemently argued the merits of various video games as art worthy of praise and discussion, this guy's not just a video game villain. He's a really bad video game villain. Yeah, this movie... I guess this is any good transition point. This is as good a transition point as anything. This movie does a really, really good job of making it about relationships and people and growing than it does about any of the action. The act, it's almost as if, and I, and, and I think this is true, the action plays second to the, the character pieces. Now, you can call the character pieces somewhat... Um, Limited. Uh, fluff limited, sure. Um, but this isn't a deeply I, this isn't a deep interpersonal drama starring actors known for their subtlety and depth. No. But I do think that the movie rests head and shoulders on the relationships between them and not necessarily on the action. Uh, you know, but there's a few decent set pieces, but for the most part I think they went out of their way to try to write as best they could for the characters and didn't focus as much on what would have been the obvious thing, you know, the action-adventure element of the movie, which I thought was a, a bit of a surprise. And, of course, there's, you know, there's, you know, uh, 
low-hanging fruit comedy. But that's what appeals to people, See, and that, the point of this a, movie appeals to people. It's an interesting choice of words, given how many jokes there are about male genitalia. <laughs> Dude, I was in a full theater, and everyone was laughing. You, you know, like I, you know, I, I know I was, I was in a mostly around, full I was... theater, and everyone but me was laughing. Well, there you go. You know, and, and as the Including song says, my mother, as, we, as, <laughs> as we as I said before, you know, you got to give the audience what they want if you want to make any money. So it is what it is. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a really interesting, and it was. I think that was a kind of the real callback to the original. I mean, there's a lot of like small, relatively pointless uh, bits in the of you know set pieces or dialogue that reference stuff that happened in the original movie, but the original movie was also primarily driven by the character interaction more so than, uh, you know, the craziness. I mean, sure, there was some craziness, but it worked because, you know, again, how the characters interacted, and that's what we got a lot of here. There's a lot of these people interacting with each other. And I, again, like, I do need to give a lot of credit to all the acting parties involved for what they were able to accomplish as far as that goes, because none of it feels, I mean, it's stupid, but it's like not mind numbing, you know, like, uh, you know, I I use stupid as Jack Black for a second. Oh, Jack Black is (laughs) the best part of this movie. Well, I was going to say, I really thought that Jack Black playing a, playing a femme, um, was going to get on my nerves, but I actually thought they toned him down from what he could have been. You know what I mean by that? They absolutely could have gone berserk and have him be unrelenting. Uh, but the, both the character and the characterization, the personification of what the character was supposed to be, was just the right pitch to to be funny without being overbearing or beating the same joke to death. Because instead of just being a girl, you know, a uh, a valley girl out in the jungle, she becomes kind of a mentor to, oh gosh, what is her name? Um, Martha. 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 <laughs> Why did you say You're that? You're letting them kill Martha. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, and I like, you know, I, I tell you, I wanted to bring this up early on in our discussion, but what I, what I really liked about this movie, this, this one line at the end where you have, you know, the Alex Wolf character who is uh, Dwayne Johnson in the movie. So let me be very clear about that. So Alex Wolf plays Spencer Gilpin, who turns into Dr. Smolder Braystone, <laughs> who is played by The Rock. And as The Rock, he's trying to convince her to stay in Jumanji, that going back to the real world, there are nobodies, but by staying in Jumanji, they, you know, they have all these powers and they have all this respect. And, you know, and it's the, the fake world, you know, is better than the real world. And she says... Nope, that's not the lesson in all of this. The lesson in all of this is be everything we are in this game in the real world. Live every day like it's an adventure. 
and I love that about the movie. I love that you know that 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 ultimately was what the movie was trying to say. And whether that spoke to you personally or not, I thought it was I thought it was a point well made. And I liked the fact that the characters embraced you know the main characters in this embraced it at the end. Um, I got a very Breakfast Club vibe from this movie. You know, it's it's the Breakfast Club on you know on drugs and steroids, but. <laughs> It's it, it just somewhat like ironic we have some... the original cast of the Breakfast Club spent part of that movie high out of their minds, and I'm pretty sure at least one of them was on steroids. At least, um, but you know, I got a very much sense of here we have four people, you know, from these different walks of life, forced to be in a situation together, and they grow and they learn and they bond and they come out different people than they were than when they went in. And if nothing else, the movie, I think, does a fair to middling job of presenting all of that in a very entertaining way. I really enjoyed The Rock's performance because I never once forgot that he was Spencer Gilpin. You know, we spent just enough time with Spencer at the beginning of the movie to get a sense of who he is and what he is, which I was fine with. And then... He that that characterization never gets lost in uh, the portrayal of of Doctor Smolder Bravestone. Um, I believed that that avatar was still this unsure nerdy kid uh, underneath all of that, you know. And and again, Jack Black did a good did a great job of maintaining Bethany as a somewhat sympathetic character. Uh, Karen Gillian, I think, did okay as Martha. Um, Karen Gillian plays is the is the actress who played the Avatar Ruby Roundhouse, and there's some she has some great moments. The best being when she's trying to flirt with the two guards. That whole sequence. <laughs> she really shines as somebody who is trying to play an awkward teenage girl in this really hot body. That all worked for me, um, even if it went a little long. I still, I still thought it was the highlight of that performance. Uh, Kevin Hart's the only one who I didn't see his his, his character in the movie. I saw Kevin Hart. Because <laughs> well, that's all he does is I get to be Kevin that Hart and, my, yeah, and rip yeah. off Aaron Paul. Yeah, I got nothing out of the Franklin Moose Finbar character. And then when Kevin Hart came on screen, all uh, sorry, out of the uh, Anthony Fridge Johnson character, I mean, he just seemed like, you know, jock archetype. And then when Kevin Hart came on screen, I just saw Kevin Hart. <laughs> I got nothing out of that. So... I mean, it really shouldn't be that big of a surprise that the strongest acting in this movie comes from, you know, both Jack Black and The Rock, who are the only actors in this film who have shown a propensity for range of any variety. It's very easy to hate Jack Black, but he's actually a very talented actor. I mean, the Real, man's uh, done movies like, is. like High Fidelity, you know, which was nominated for all kinds of awards. He does a lot of the goofy stuff because I think that's what appeals to him on a personal level, but when you actually like strip that away and you get him in a role where he acts, he does a really good job. Uh, again, like uh, you mentioned High Fidelity. The one that kind of surprised me was his uh, his acting in uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. Because he does a 
yeah. a really good job in that as well. He's the highlight of the acting in that movie, which happens to feature, I believe, at least I believe two other Academy Award winners. He, uh, you know, it's funny. I hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen him in much, you know, uh, as of late. At least much outside of the Kung Fu Panda movies, I hadn't seen him in much that really caught my eye. That I was aware of. Oh, that's him. Um, and you know, or or he was in any kind of crazy starring, you know, like he, I, I I was thinking the last thing I remembered him starring in was School of Rock, and that was two thousand three. But he has two movies coming out in twenty eighteen. One is Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, and the other is The House with a Clock on Its Walls. But prior to, to this, um, other than doing the Kung Fu Panda movies, he was also in Goosebumps, and he was, on, he was in a movie called The D-Train. Uh, he was in a movie called Bernie. Um, that was actually Gulliver's really good. Tra- I don't know if you've... It was on Netflix for a while. It's a really interesting... It's an interesting movie in the fact that it's ha- half of it is just legitimate interviews with people in the town, and the other half of it is acted by you know like um, again you have Jack Black in the titular role, you have Matthew McConaughey, and I can't for the life of me remember. Uh, uh yeah, Shirley MacLaine. That's it. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't seen it, but it looks interesting. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, he still gets work. He still gets major work. Both on both in uh, features uh, and uh, on TV. The last couple of things on TV he was in. He was in an episode of The Last Man on Earth. Uh, he was in something called Ricky Dick's Rock Stocks. Um, he was on The Brink. Yeah, he, I remember The Brink. That was on HBO. That was actually really funny. He was on Workaholics. You know, he's definitely uh, done some. You know, he is. Jack Black is working. <laughs> yeah. So all credit, all credit to him. He made the character work, and that, and I, and I think that was probably the hardest character to get right. You know, yeah, it, to really capture the spirit. Again, you mentioned that you went into this fearing that it would just, it would just grate on your nerves after two minutes, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. And it, again, it really doesn't. You know, there's enough. There's bits of humor about, you know, being in a different gendered body. There's, you know, her growing as a person a bit. And, I mean, it it never, again, it never gets, like, please shut up and go away. Right. Quite like, uh, quite like it does with, you know, Kevin Hart, because Kevin Hart needs to just go away. I also like, as a narrative choice, I like the fact that the characters die. They wanted to cast Aaron Paul for the zoology bitches line and then couldn't afford him. Um, As I was saying, I I like the fact that the characters could die and that having, you know, and that having one life left really changes their behavior. You know, it makes, it makes Nick Jonas's character, Seaplane McDonough, uh, fear to continue in the game and he ends up spending a lifetime in there. You know, it makes... I like the fact that Karen Gillian's character used it to her advantage to outsmart the villain. You know, because she uh, sacrifices herself to the snake, which launches her back into the sky as she as her character is reborn and all of that. 
You know, I, I liked the fact that they used the video game. You know, the video game aspect was not just done to update the property. It was done – they used it in such a way that it could, they could move the narrative forward, which I liked. I liked the fact that it played a major role in how the characters behaved. I liked the fact that it uh, – I mean, I didn't see the first Jumanji. I'm going to see it this week, and then we'll review it on On Trial on Friday. Um, in case you're wondering so far, we're not it's doing a, it on – it's a it's a real product of its time, both for better and for worse. Uh, if you're wondering why we're not doing the on fraud on trial this Thursday, it's because I'm going to a Christmas party or a holiday party, as it were, and uh, I was asked by my wife to move the day of the podcast so that we didn't have to come home early. And so, you know, there's no reason for us to for me not to have. So I did. I'm a good husband. In any case, um, so. I haven't seen the first Jumanji. I don't know how much the fact that it was a board game played into the movie, but the fact that the, the, the video game plays heavily into how the movie plays out, um, which, I, which I thought was good. You know, I, I like those elements of it. I enjoyed the fact that, you know, the, the kid, uh, well, you know, once they've beaten the game, the kid is able to return home to the moment that he left and it, you know, and it changes, uh, it sets the timeline, right. As it were, I enjoyed that. And so you get to see him later as I want to say that's Tom Hanks's kid. Um, uh, yeah. Colin Hanks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm a straight metal head. And there brother, he is in his Metallica search. Yeah. Um, Still rocking the old you? Metallica shirt. Uh, I, I, I felt, your presence speaking to me through that character. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't need to beat this to death. Bobby Cannavale is absolutely wasted in his role. You know, and I it's think so this is the best can't... thing he's done. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm one of the few people who really liked him in, um, uh, well, gosh, what was he just in? Um, <laughs> Not, I liked him in Boardwalk Empire, but uh, Vinyl. I really liked Vinyl. I'm sad that got canceled. That uh, I, I enjoyed that, but um, you know, I thought he was great. I thought he was the best villain of any of any season as a Jip Rossetti on Boardwalk Empire. Um, a couple of other things that he's done. He's going to be in the upcoming Ant Man and the Wasp movie as Jim Paxton. That ought to be fun. Uh, wait, so he can go from like one thinly written villain to another. Oh, apparently he was in, he was in the previous Ant Man as well. I just didn't remember him. I'm trying to think of what oh, else yeah. he was in. That was a... not, oh yeah, he's the uh, the guy who's like married to Scott Lang's ex. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. In any case, I like Bobby Cannavale as an actor. I I just don't think they gave him anything to do in this. It was. It was kind of, you know, like, hey, you've got a great look. You look like you could be a villain. Um, look like a villain. <laughs> That's it. That's all he does. Um, you know, they they don't give him, other than just, you know, I, I'm bad for bad sake. And, you know, the, he borrows a bit from uh, from Smeagol. You know, the jewel makes him crazy. I There's nothing to this character. Zero. It's the worst written character in the movie by a, a long stretch. Reese Darby as Nigel is written better. Oh, that's what I was I was going, talking about with the. Uh, they really use the video game aspect. <laughs> you know, Reese Darby as Nigel 
uh, just repeats the same lines over and over uh, because you know because he's the the NPC. And he, if you don't interact with him the right way, he just keeps repeating himself. I thought that was great. I enjoyed the hell out of that. But I, um, I almost wanted him to have health bars, you know, like <laughs> not even as a, like just something that they could pull up so they could, you know, make sure see where they are health wise every now and then. It was they played with being, you know, in a video game really well and. So you have NPCs who will only react if you interact with them the proper way. You have you know, level constraints. You have all these things that you play that you know as characters aware that you're actually in a video game you could play around with. And I thought they had a lot of fun with that. Yes, the one Kevin Hart thing that I really enjoyed, other than being watching him being smacked into a mountain, and then uh. I think it was eaten by a hippo, whatever. No, no, Jack Black got eaten by the hippo. He got mauled by rhinos. Right, he got mauled by rhinos. Um, was when they're eating the rations and they discover they have to eat food in order to stay healthy to complete the game. And he's in, and he's like, oh, this is delicious. What is this, pound cake? God damn it, boom. <laughs> yes, cake is that. one of his weaknesses, and eating it made him explode. <laughs> I, uh, despite myself, I, I laughed at that. So, you know, overall, I would give this movie a B. I thought it was fine. You know, um, it's not going to win. It, it, it's not going to win any awards, but uh, it was still it was still a fine, 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 uh, entertaining movie. I There's one thing that I really have to simultaneously applaud this movie for and I hate it for in like equal measures. You, they literally had characters sucked into a video game. At which point, I can no longer complain that something doesn't work that way. Like they, they actually just took away one of my favorite complaints and bits that I can do on this podcast by writing around it. Believably, you know, for for as much for whatever you know, being sucked into a video game is is worth. Of course physics don't work the way they're supposed to in a video game. I know this. I've flown a helicopter sideways in a video game. You, they just <laughs> completely removed my ability to complain about some of that. And, it, I, I again, I have to applaud them on one hand and curse them on the other. I Oh, gosh. what? Oh, that was the other thing. The CGI in this looks purposely done badly. Like it was, it was, it was almost as if they were like, "Well, we want to make it seem like a video game, so we're, we're going to speed the characters up." And you know, it's like, like I, I, they did this in Wonder Woman too, and with Superman and in in uh, Justice League and um, Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice. Uh, that you know, that fast forward effect that looks really unnatural, but you can kind of buy it with certain characters. Well, it doesn't really work in this movie. But it does, because again, it looks obviously fake, but it's supposed to be a game. So why wouldn't it and look a, fake? And a somewhat You're, poorly rendered game at that, so it, it does contribute to the overall aesthetic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, any last and, words on this before we get to the money? Well, I and mean, again, I have to applaud that, because nobody hates bad CGI quite as much as I do. And yet, they found a way for it to at least makes sense. 
in the context of their movie. This like somebody heard all of my complaints about filmmaking and then wrote this to troll me. That's almost what this feels like. <laughs> Okay, here's all these things you don't like, but we're going to execute them in such a way that you can't, with a shred of moral integrity, actually criticize them. Have fun with that. <laughs> Here you go, asshole. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Um, uh, I think you might be a tad generous with your grade, but not enough to really like complain about it. It's... It's not the worst movie I've seen all year. It will probably be the first one I completely forget about, though. Yeah, it is utterly a forget. It is an utterly forgettable movie, but you know, I, I oh, think well, with there all is, with, with every... there was also the least believable part of this movie that anyone would voluntarily give up being The Rock. <laughs> wah, wah. Look, uh, we've had some ups and downs this year, both personally and. Uh, watching movies, it, it was nice to go out with. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, we, it was nice to go out with sort of a middle of the road, wild, mildly entertaining, wildly or mildly, depending on your mileage, uh, entertaining rock movie. And with that said, here comes the money. Here we go, money talk. All right, here it is, our last money of the year. We're going to spend a little time just sort of summing things up before we start tearing into the critics. But uh, on a budget of $90 million, as of today, Tuesday, December 26th, uh, the movie has made worldwide $121 million. This movie will be just fine. This is, uh, this is going to be one of Sony's better... Uh, I mean, if you don't count Spider-Man, it might be its best earning movie. We don't count Spider-Man because the Spider-Man was successful because of the unholy mouse. Not because of anything Sony did other than have the intelligence to go, please make this movie for us. Yeah. In any case, uh, this will probably end up being Sony's big winner of the year when it's all said and done. We'll have to wait a few weeks for that to happen. But in the meantime, it's well on its way to being profitable. And, you know, it's got some stiff competition with uh, Star Wars still being out and that, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But, you know, you know, for what it is over the Christmas holiday, it did fine. So, you know, certainly a, it was certainly a nice way for uh, Sony to end the year, considering they, they took a bath for most of it. I mean, not a paramount bath. Star Wars is still, I know Transformers is still sitting at number 20, at number 14 for the year. But, um, anyway, God, Transformers made a billion dollars in a, a couple of years, and then this year it, it, it's 14th of a year. Ugh. People at Paramount are, uh, I'm sure, on Suicide Watch. But anyway, yes, yeah, Jumanji, Jumanji did fine. It uh, debuted at number two for the weekend. Star Wars uh, obviously continued its uh, dominance of the theater. I think this is a yeah, second week in a row. It um, it was number one last week. It'll be it's number one this this past weekend. Jumanji debuted at number two. Pitch Perfect number three. The Greatest Showman number four. The Greatest Showman actually uh, is not getting good reviews. It's a muddled picture from what I've read. Ferdinand dropped from two to five. Coco three to six. Downsizing debuted at number seven. Darkest Hour rose from sixteen to eight. And Father Figures, which oh, what was the Father other Figures one we could have? 
And we we could have reviewed Darkest Hour and you know Gary Oldman's other attempt at an Oscar that he probably that he should win but probably won't. Could have watched that. Uh, we could but no. But no. Could have reviewed Lady Bird too, but that's not that kind of podcast now, is it? And Father Figures, which is a great example of why I don't review comedies, debuted at number nine. Yuck. Look, it, Father Figures should have should not be an example of why you don't review comedies. It should be an example of why you don't review anything starring Owen Wilson. <laughs> the fact that it's a comedy is utterly immaterial to the fact that it's going to be terrible because Owen Wilson is in it. Uh, where we stand right now, uh, not a whole lot of change at the top of the heap. Uh, Thor finally passed Wonder Woman. Uh, it's currently sitting at $846 million. It may or may not reach the $20 million it needs, $20 million more than it needs to surpass Guardians of the Galaxy. But at that point, it's only fighting for the sixth spot. It has to get over $870 million to pass the foreign film Wolf Warrior 2. Um, the only movie that's got even a shot of battling out in the top five is Star Wars at this point, which is currently sitting at number 10 with $791 million. Uh, that knocked it out of the top 10 uh, at number 11 with $698 million. And, hey, Justice League, which on the one hand, you did better than Logan. <laughs> on the other hand, you didn't even reach $700 million. You stink. So wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that the big budget center tentpole massive release of Justice League just barely edged out the R-rated, deeply depressing drama single X-Men character character study film Logan. You are correct, sir. You all should feel horrible about yourselves. <laughs> yeah. That is insane. Not a good year if you work for Warner Brothers. I mean, you know, again, we 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 talked about this before, but you know, three on years the one from now, hand, Disney's going to buy Warner Brothers. If Disney buys Warner Brothers before they buy either Paramount or Sony, I'm going to be re- really upset about that. Just because I don't, <laughs> the the those studios are begging to be bought. Just they begging. also don't have anything of value. Eh, Sony's got the Masters of the Universe uh, IP. Let me read. I'll say it again. Do I have to say it again? <laughs> they don't have anything they, of value. Anything of value. <laughs> um, let's see. Sony's got the Ghostbusters franchise. Still nothing of value. I'm going to look this up. I want to see how many IPs they have. Let's see if I can get a list of Sony IP. Um, uh, let me think here. And then Paramount has the Transformers and the Hasbro universe. While that's proven to be of moderately more value, they're also already rebooting G.I. Joe, and Transformers dropped from one of the top like three movies two years ago to barely a blip on the radar. I, I seriously have begun, and Bumblebee's probably going to fail miserably next year. 
Now, fail miserably is a slight exaggeration, but it will probably not do terribly well, yet I will have to suffer through watching it and then talking about it. List of Sony IPs. Uh, You know, when you you type that into Google, it's all like video game stuff. List of Sony intellectual properties. That might be better. Intellectual. Intellectual property. There we go. List of Sony intellectual property. Nope, that doesn't get me any closer to where I want to go. Maybe next time, maybe uh, in a show in the future, I will have a a list in front of me of what they're doing. I know they're doing um, a Masters of the Universe movie next year. Well, there's well, hey, there's Uh, there's apparently a Gambit movie next year too, but we know that's not happening. It it probably is happening. That's that's the thing. It will lose Um, a catastrophic amount of money. No, stop! You're so negative. So nobody uh, wants let's that. Go ahead. Nobody. So with uh, Star Wars, Disney has claimed its rightful spot at the top of the heap for 2017 uh, uh, in terms of market share. Disney is number one with 21.1 percent. Warner Brothers is number two at 19.1 percent. But they did so with 33 movies tracked and 20 released in 2017, compared to. Disney's 12 movies track and eight movies released in 2017. So there. Universal came in at a third place with 14%, with 16 movies tracked and 14 of them being released in 2017. And Fox, who was just recently sold to Disney, came in at 11.9 market share, 19 movies tracked and 14 released in 2017. And coming in at a distant fifth, is uh, Sony with 8.8, 27 movies tracked, and 24 released in 2017. Wow. That's fucking sad. Uh, and Paramount, which came in at number seven. I'm just not even going to bother with Lionsgate. <laughs> but Paramount came in with a market share of 4.9%, 18 movies tracked, 12 of which were released in 2017. And let's review the hits here. Let us review... Such great, monumental, fantastic, uh, money-making endeavors such as Transformers The Last Night, Daddy's Home 2, Big Watch, <laughs> Triple oh, X Return of Xander Cage, that Ghost in the too. Shell, Monster Trucks, Rings, bomb, bomb. Mother, uh, Suburbicon, Downsizing, An Inconvenient Sequel, they, hey, they, re- they re-released the Titanic this year. So and everything else on this list was released in 2016. Signed, I imagine these people signed this like studio signed a munitions agreement with the United States government to produce bombs for the next year. <laughs> waka waka. Yeah, I got, I'm full of bad to... jokes. <laughs> Hashtag bad jokes. Well, let's compare that to Sony's list. Not counting Spider-Man, their best movie this year uh, in terms of domestic earnings was Baby Driver, followed by the Emoji Movie. Um, in only its first week out, Jumanji is, num- is their number four, 
So I imagine that's going to skyrocket to the top at some point. The Dark Tower, then the Smurfs, then the Star. There are two animated pictures. Number nine is Underwar Blood Wars. Number ten was Life, which bombed. Then Resident Evil, Rough Night, Only the Brave, Flatliners, Roman J. Israel Esquire, All Saints. And then it just, it's not even worth reading the rest of these. It's not good. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of crap by Sony. That, the, the, it's just Sony and Paramount, really, and, and for that matter, Warner Brothers all need new management. I just looked at uh, next year's basic list again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, it's not good. So, so looking at oh. the weekend, uh, what am I looking for here? Oh, I want to know. Oops. Overall gross. Um. The best weekend overall gross this year was between the 15th and the 17th. It was when Star Wars came out. Um, and the second best weekend of the year was the week of uh, Beauty and the Beast, March 17th through the 19th, at $260 million. So we went um, a whole year, and only one weekend was able to beat one from the first quarter of 2017. Okay. That's... How deeply and profoundly sad is that? So, yeah, uh, your top, like, five best weekends of the year uh, and the number one movie of that weekend was December 15th through the 17th, which is Star Wars The Last Jedi. That's number one. March 17th through the 19th was Beauty and the Beast. Um, December 22nd through the 25th, again, Star Wars. June 30th through July 4th was Despicable Me. And July 7th through the 9th, Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm sensing a pattern here. The top, the least five, the bottom five uh, for the year, September 29th through October 1st at 82, a little over 82 million. And the number one movie that weekend was Kingsman 2. December 8th through the 10th, um, which was the week before Star Wars. And uh, the number one movie was Coco. September 1st through the 3rd, and the number one movie was The Hitman's Bodyguard. October 27th through the 29th, and the number one weekend, that one, the number one movie that weekend was Jigsaw. And lastly, the worst weekend of the year to made only $50 million was August 25th through the 27th, and the number one movie that weekend was The Hitman's Bodyguard. And let's just look at that for a second. So what debuted that weekend? Okay. Uh, Leap. Debuted that weekend and it debuted at number three behind the Hitman's Bodyguard and Annabelle Creation. Birth of the Dragon debuted at number eight. At number nine was a Fathom event. And do you want to know what the Fathom event uh, debuted on the uh, top ten? Number nine or ten, probably. No, do you know what the the Fathom event was? No. Mayweather versus McGregor. I hate. All of you out there so much. <laughs> um, and then coming in at number 10 for that weekend was the Emoji Movie at $2 million. 
And let's let us go look at how much money the Emoji Movie has made. Ah, on a fifty million dollar budget, it made two hundred and sixteen million dollars. Emoji Movie Two. Let's get it. Let's not. Like you guys skated no, by on a terrible concept, terribly animated, by releasing it at a moderately import, uh, uneventful time of year. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, let's just, for once, let's not double down on the stupid. Nope. More Emoji Movies. I want a trilogy. I didn't even see the Emoji Movie. Nor neither will I, my kids saw it. Neither did I. My kids saw it. They loved it. Oh, sure, it's, heard it's about brightly all, colored and features talking poop. Of course kids love it. <laughs> they did. My son has been sleeping through this entire podcast on the couch next to me. Just passed out. Absolutely passed out. Probably from watching too much Emoji Movie. I'm sure. Although if you let him watch that too much more... If he sees that like three more times, you're going to actually do permanent brain damage to the poor child. Aww. You will lose the ability to do math and speak in more than two-syllable words. Are you ready? <sighs> if I have to be. Um. Oh, remind me. After I do this, I actually have something. Before you get into that, I actually have to point out how much this bit has like altered the way I look. Has like altered a few things in my life. No oh, God! No God! Please no! 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 Please, uh, elaborate. Okay, so the only Dirty Harry movie I don't own is the first one. And one of my brothers, cognizant of this fact, purchased for me for Christmas uh, one of the special editions of the original Dirty Harry. As I was looking over this, looking at the back to see what special features came with this particular edition, there, as there are frequently on any of these, you know, be it DVD, Blu-ray, old VHS tapes, there are critical quotes from critics on the back of your case, always positive and always carefully gleaned to be positive. And I happened to catch the name of the gentleman who provided the review that the quote they had taken, again, the provided the review that they quoted on the back of this uh, DVD case. And it was none other than our good friend Leonard Malton. Oh, yeah? Yes. This individual who I have more than on more than one occasion requested be bludgeoned with dead fish has a yeah has a quote that they chose to you know clip from his review of I believe the original back in 1970 whatever and that was the uh, the carefully perused and carefully gleaned quote was a positive one from Leonard Malton and I. Had to remind myself that even the old blind squirrel finds it not on rare occasions. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do this thing, and then let's get out of here. Uh, Claire McNear of The Ringer. Welcome to the jungle is precisely as bankrupt as it seems. 
maybe Jungle plus Game plus Big Movie Star seemed like all the formula that was necessary. And this movie just couldn't be bothered to look at the goofball whimsy that made the original special. So, yeah, there's a common theme with a lot of these rotten reviews, which is basically they're angry. They got forced to review a movie about a about kids who enter a video game. And so it's either a lot of them complaining that the, that the makers of the movie didn't make the movie they think they should have made or just outright hatred at the concept because they don't want to be removing this kind of, this kind of movie. Yeah, please, someone inform me of any other profession where you can go about your job like that and not be censured or fired. Roxana Haddadi of the Chesapeake Family Magazine. There are funny moments throughout Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, but the sexual humor is constant and the narrative tension is non-existent. No, wait, wait, wait. We need to, we need, there needs to be a serious discussion had courtesy of this jackass. There's a significant difference between sexual humor and body-related humor. There's not a single what I would consider sexual joke in this whole uh, humorous segment, in this whole movie. Wait, you're telling me that a teenage girl suddenly thrust into the body of Jack Black wouldn't be so much surprised at the mechanics of how the male body operates differently than the female body? I mean, I'm I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just completely desensitized to the notion of sexual humor, but that doesn't strike me as that. (laughs) Okay. And then there's Kevin Hart. Hang on. And Kevin Hart mentions that there are things underneath a rhino. Well, yeah, they're they reproduce sexually, guys. They're mammals. Mammals? I'm pretty sure rhinos are mammals. Are they pachyderms? No, they're pachyderms, not mammals. Anyway, point being, they reproduce sexually. Ergo, yeah, some of them have balls. About half of them, probably. This is basic biology. It doesn't make it sexual humor. Morons. I didn't even find it all that funny, but come on. Let's not e. Al- call it come something on. it is. E. Oliver Whitney of Screen Crush. Kazan's film could have been any generic survivalist action comedy. Slapping the board game onto the title is nothing but shameless branding. You mean like you have to actually sell product? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but I don't even think that that's it's brand. How is that a ne- how is that a negative criticism? Well, this movie was branded. No, but what as I think opposed this person is saying to the is, unbearable lightness of being. I mean, what do you well, want? No, I, I, all right, take a breath for fuck's sake. I think what this person is trying to say is that this was a this was just a generic, uh, you know, people out in the wilderness action movie, and he threw the name Jumanji on there, and it barely relates to the concept, which couldn't be further from the truth. As we talked about in the review portion of this podcast, they very much incorporated things that make a video game a video game. I don't know where this person is coming from. This wasn't First Blood, okay? It, It just wasn't. I don't know why you would think otherwise. Although now they will probably try to remake Rambo featuring The Rock. 
good. I hope so. I hope it, I, I would I would much rather see The Rock be Rambo than the President of the United States, but that's hardly the issue here. Um, Yip Yi of the Straits Times in Singapore says, the scary animals are still here, mind you, but they are only included as minor obstacles in the background since the central characters are often too busy squabbling amongst themselves to notice anything going on around them. Otherwise known as character development and plot, but I'll let you have at it. Yeah, I mean, really, why would you... Why would you have characters interact? Why would you have written dialogue when we could have more animal chase scenes in a movie? You're why we can't have nice things, buddy. (laughs) Brian Bishop of The Verge. A film about games that doesn't understand them, with the lowest common denominator gags in place of inventive humor or sly observations. (sighs) I, I... This isn't quite lowest common denominator humor, buddy. I don't think you've... Have you not sat through the average Will Ferrell movie? Because Elf is, like, lowest common denominator and then slightly lower than that. I mean, this isn't... Again, this isn't great, but it didn't strike... I don't know. Some of it maybe, but... it. it I don't know. It just didn't strike me as lowest common denominator humor. I don't, maybe oh, yeah, it I is. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm giving the maybe I'm giving the average you know people too much credit as for what the lowest common denominator actually is, which would be a first for me, but not. But I acknowledge it's a possibility. Roger Moore of Movie Nation, corporate. Oh, this cooked guy. Cooked up by committee. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> corporate cooked up by committee. By the time the Jonas Brothers shows up, most viewers will have checked out checking their text messages. Awfully presumptuous. Incredibly presumptuous and relatively inaccurate. I mean, what about this movie feels like focus grouped to anybody? Mark, I mean, because Mark, you and I know I have levied this complaint at movies in the past. Like, I watched them and I went, okay, so you clearly, like, had a focus group to develop this part of this character. You didn't know what you wanted to do, so you took a random sampling and went, okay, we'll go with that. Like, every aspect of the Joker's design from Suicide Squad. I, I don't know, none of this felt focus grouped, or this didn't feel like a movie by committee. This just felt painfully generic, which is not at all the same thing. And I really do wish people would learn the difference. Pete Hammond of Deadline Hollywood Daily. I don't recall asking for another round of Jumanji, and the laughs don't come easily in this version despite a game cast. Yes, here we have another reviewer who's reviewing a movie based on what he would have preferred. Look, buddy, I didn't ask for this movie either. I didn't ask for any of the movies next year. I didn't ask for 90% of the movies this year. But, and this might be a difficult concept for you to grasp, the world's bigger than you, and apparently there are people who did want this. And a lot of people who wanted Donald Trump as president, too. But, hey, we can only point out how much brain damage they've suffered. Marianne Johnson, a flick philosopher, in our Get Her Winfrey moment of the night, culturally clueless cinematic vomit. A cynical undertaking embracing the most diminishing cliches it can apply to its characters. Low stakes and low humor. 
Okay. Okay. What what would you consider high stakes if life and death doesn't qualify? Let's be very clear. Like, this is not. They don't <laughs> mince words about that. Like, does life and is individual life and death not qualify as high stakes in your world? I mean, if it does, maybe you're living in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where if we're not saving the actual planet, then who cares? As for the laughs gag, look, I don't think I laughed out loud throughout this whole movie, but I am not deaf. I heard the other people around me cracking up, and I'm more than willing to acknowledge that my sense of humor is not the average sense of humor. There were plenty of laughs. There was an act, If you want to argue that the movie didn't feel ominous, despite there being life and death stakes, okay, that's a somewhat that's a relatively fair point. It's not the same as pretending that there is no that there aren't stakes involved. It's a criticism of how they handled the invol- the stakes involved, which it's it's fundamentally not the same thing. And really, you're going to call this culturally clueless? Really? I mean, come on. We had a Michael Bay movie this year, and you want to complain that, you know, <laughs> that this movie was the one that had that had no relevance or impact on the culture, had no, you know, no, this didn't draw from the average high school experience. And sure, the characters are broadly painted. They start off as stereotypes for the express purpose of being allowed very obvious room to grow by the time the movie wraps up. This isn't subtle screenwriting, and I wouldn't necessarily call it even good screenwriting, but it's effective in the sense that if you were to give it a grade, you would probably have to give it a C plus to a B just because it actually achieves its goal of moving characters from point A to point B, unlike any number of other movies we've seen this year. All right, this is going to be the last one, because I am getting tired, and I think we've made our point here. Um, Kevin Marr of The Times UK, yet another needless reboot searching for a reason to exist. Ugh, this argument... <laughs> I'm just like I'm so sick of people foisting this well why does this have to exist why do you have to exist I mean I assume it's because one of your one or both of your parents forgot to be on birth control like they, they miss your mother miscounted pills or your dad had a condom past its expiration date why does anything exist you're gonna question the purpose of some no it is designed fundamentally to entertain and maybe you weren't entertained i was not necessarily entertained but i wasn't the only person in the theater and i guarantee and i know for a fact the vast majority of people who were in that theater were entertained and that's really all that this thing is attempting to do Are and i you hate not to be utilitarian about it but the majority were entertained. I can criticize the movie on its elements. I criticized Thor Ragnarok for a lot of its elements because I thought it was stupid. I never said it wasn't entertaining, and I certainly never questioned its need to exist 
simply because it didn't appeal to me personally. You narcissistic jackass. All right. Uh, so we are fast approaching the end of the year. January, uh, we are off for the month. No no Rob and, and Mock. Aw, no Rob and Mock. Um, here's what we will be talking about instead. Pat and I are going to get together to talk about Fuller House Season 3, Part 2. We've got an on-trial for the movie 300 and a discussion of the comic book 300. We're going to do a, sor- a uh, source material on Black Lightning when that show debuts on uh, January 16th on the CW. And on that same night, we'll be doing a TV party tonight for The Runaways. Uh, we'll be discussing The Orville Season 1. And then I Jesse and I will also, will also be discussing Black Mirror Season 4. And that, uh, that pretty much takes care of January. In February... Uh, Alexis Haina will be coming on the show to discuss Pinky and the Brain Volume 1. There'll be an on-trial, two of them as a matter of fact, one on the 30th of January and one on the 13th of February. And then we're back, briefly, for one week. We'll be back to discuss Black Panther. The following week, Ronnie and I will discuss Black Sail Season 2, and then it's on like motherfucking Donkey Kong. March. March movie madness. Damn you, Hollywood returns in full effect with Death Wish on March 6th. A Wrinkle in Time on March 13th. Terrible. Tomb Raider on March 20th. Pacific Rim March 27th. I hope it's not terrible. Ready Player. Probably. Ready Player One uh, on April 3rd. The gang will be all here to discuss WrestleMania 34 on April 10th. And then we keep the train keeps on going, baby dolls. We got the New Mutants on the 17th of April, followed by the next rock movie, Rampage. You played the game. Oh, it sucks. Now (laughs) you played the game. Now we're going to discuss the movie. Uh, the week after that is May 1st. We'll have an on-trial from Sean. Uh, and then it, 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 there's not a whole lot going on in May. We're just going to – there's just two Danny Hollywoods, one for the Avengers and one for Solo, which rumor has it is going to bomb. Um, and then June, we're back to – we're pretty – I think June and July, we go pretty much every single week without stopping um, right into August. Yeah, August has also got a lot of uh, stuff. And then September, uh, you know, we uh, we only have one in September. So that's what we got going on, folks. That's, that's most of the year in 2018. The winter of Winfrey's discontent. Why don't we just call it Your Suicide book, Watch? <laughs> what? How about we just call it Winfrey's Suicide Watch? And we'll just the see watch. if I show up <laughs> next week. <laughs> Why would we do that? I imagine that this is a fairly self-evident statement. No. No. No, no, no. 
I might have to try to find a few Tuesdays when we don't have Damn You Hollywood to try and finagle a movie or so that I can make you, uh, you to dust off, you know, because I made you. Given how much <laughs> I'm going to be suffering. All right. Well, we've got some space on the calendar, at least uh, in the second and third quarter. First quarter is pretty much jam packed. Yeah. Well, we'll see if we can. I, I do still want to get you to watch the first two Saw movies. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I I genuinely don't think you'll like anything after those, but I, the first one at least I actually think you might enjoy. Well, I don't want to wait until next October to to finish off. Um, Who's he? What's he? Uh, um, Hannibal. I'd like to get Hannibal season two done well before that, and maybe do maybe do how maybe finish up Hannibal around October. But we'll see. We'll figure it out. You know, I don't want to book too far ahead. Uh, but you know, we don't have a lot to review in October. We've only got Venom and Halloween, so you know, there's there's spots there's spots on there to. Make me watch horror movies if that's what you want to do. Yeah, sure. Well, we'll go with that's the extent of what I want to do. I'll, I will be in an extraordinarily vengeful place come October of next year. I'm fairly sure. Oh, terrific! Okay, can't wait. I mean, we could watch right. the genesis of most found footage, a little film from the '60s by the name of Cannibal Holocaust. I don't know why you'd want to, though. Oh, I wouldn't, but I've already seen it, so I can just make <laughs> you watch it. All right. It's been a fun year. Um, we've had some real fun Glad shows. We've had some nice... <laughs> you had fun. I imagine at some point during the preceding 340-some-odd days, sure. <laughs> you want to do plugs or not? Yeah, yeah. I suppose I better. Um, we had I, I mentioned this last week. I think we had the final four one one ground and pound radio show uh, last week, last Sunday. Um, not Christmas Eve, the one before that, and because then and there was Christmas Eve, and then the next one falls on New Year's Eve. And the only thing we'd be doing is reviewing uh, UFC 219, which is dead to me. I will cover <laughs> it per contractual obligations, and I will discuss it per contractual obligations as little as possible. Um, but we will be, again, the 411 Ground and Pound radio show is back on the 7th. Yeah. With a review of Fight Night 219, where I will say very little, and Jeff will probably say a lot. And if Pat's there, he will certainly have things to say. We will also preview Fight Night 125, I think it was. 124. Um, it's... I don't know. It's a card. The main event's pretty good. Uh, the main event is Jeremy Stevens versus Duho Choi, which is a pretty solid card. Or er, fight, rather. Uh, the co-main event is Uriah Hall and Vitor Belfort for reasons known only to Sean Shelby. Um, Kamaru Usman is fighting. Michael Johnson's making his featherweight debut. Is that the same Michael Johnson? Or is that someone else with the same name? 
Same Michael Johnson. Alrighty. Oh, jeez. Dude's one and four in his last five. His only win is over Dustin Poirier. <laughs> yeah, he probably should have won that uh, Darius fight, but still. Anyway, we'll preview that card come the seventh. Um, this Saturday, I will be struggling to maintain my interest in sanity while covering UFC 219. Uh, your main event is Chris Cyborg and Holly Holm for the UFC Women's Featherweight Championship. It is, again, arguably the best women's fight you can make. And I I don't care. Uh, currently scheduled also in your co-main event is Khabib Nurmagomedov and Edson Barboza. Uh, there's still a really good chance one of those two pulls out. Uh, we lost Jimmy Rivera for the card after his original opponent fell through, then his replacement opponent fell through, and then they couldn't really come to terms on anyone else between him saying no and other people saying no and so on and so forth. Uh, Carlos Condit's back fighting Neil Magny. Uh, uh, there's just like nothing, really. I'm... Ugh. So, anyway, I'll be covering that event. Uh, so, stop by, say hello. Help me fight back my growing apathy. I'll warn you all, we won't be successful, but we should probably try anyway. Just, you know, fighting the good fight. Uh, yeah, then, again, pretty much every Sunday after that is the at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. So, you can find me there. Uh, yeah, there's the 14th, the 20th, 27th. Yeah, yeah, we'll be pretty much every week for a while. Uh, all right, I think that's everything I have to plug. Mark's done all of his plugs, so to everyone out there, thank you for sticking with us, for tolerating our rambles and our personal issues and the occasional appearance of my animals or Mark's family. We... Deeply appreciate your patronage. Uh, not sure how you've managed to stick with us for this long, but God bless you for doing so. We'll be <laughs> back in 2018, and we will be trying to do a better job than we did in 2017. Because you should try to improve each year. At least that's what all those self-help gurus keep trying to tell me. I counter-argue that it's just one year closer to the heat death of the universe, but Oh my most God! Of them, most most of them don't even know what that is because uh, they're self-help gurus. They don't actually know. Ladies, um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this show. Thank you for, thank you again, for joining us. Be well, be safe, and behave.